Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of The Break. I'm Father Roderick, and oh my goodness, do we have exciting stuff to talk about. Of course, we need to talk about the keynote presentation at WWDC yesterday, as of the time of this recording, with the reveal of the Vision Pro. So, Bob Iger himself came on stage during Apple's keynote presentation of the Apple Vision Pro. And the first thing he showed was Star Wars. And I couldn't be more excited about it. So let's take a look at that present at that part of the presentation. So it started with him commemorating that Disney was eager to team up with Apple for this new platform because not only is this a big year for Apple, with the first time in many, many years that we've heard the words one more thing on stage. So it's going to be huge because it, this year sees the introduction of the Apple AR glasses called the Apple Vision Pro. But for Disney, this is also a very important year because Disney celebrates uh, 100 years of existence <laughs> and so for Disney um, with this jubilee it seems like a, a great way to establish themselves as one of the first big content partners of Apple on this brand new platform so the first thing we see of course is the iconic Disney castle and then it goes on to show us a bit of the the, the token magic that Disney is part of. And, you know, what better device to show off this magic than, than this magical device? So uh, then immediately we get to see um, that we are able to watch uh, Disney Plus on this new platform right from the get-go. In fact, they already show us some some hints as to what this Disney Plus app may look like inside the operating system of the Vision Pro. So if you put on your your Apple Vision Pro glasses, providing, of course, that you are able to, to get a hold on those and you have the money to pay for one of them, we'll get to that in a minute, uh, this is how the Mandalorian would actually look like if you're watching it on uh, with the headset um, in view. So first of all, we have this screen that looks very much like you know an, an ipad on which they are showing a sequence from the mandalorian it's actually the hyperspace sequence that we've seen where where um uh baby yoda and there he is is looking around and is just mesmerized by uh, the glow of the stars and then later on you will see these space whales as well and i think it's an iconic scene that they chose on purpose because that's the kind of wonder that disney is going for it's the kind of magic that will enthrall you all this to communicate that that watching star wars on the apple vision pro is going to be unlike any other experience that you've had of star wars before now the other thing that immediately strikes me is that around the screen where you can watch regular 2D episodes of The Mandalorian, for instance, you have the, the projection of these, these additional screens with more information. So, for instance, on the right of the, uh, of the scene, this, this is the, the chase scene, 
Um, I think that's in episode one of the last season of The Mandalorian. You'll see on the right side that there are some key characters. So it's like extra information comparable to what, uh, for instance, um, Amazon Prime does very well. When you're watching a movie, you can always check while you're watching, you know, who are the actors here? What else have they been in? Sometimes there's trivia projected. Well, on on a lot of this this a lot of this extra materials on a lot of platforms you have to click you have to pause in order to see it and then it will detract you from the experience of watching the episode itself well here it's much more elegant these these virtual screens are floating in and they are showing you extra information while you are watching the movie so on the upper left uh, of the screen um, you you can see uh, the 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 3D render of of Boba Fett's uh, Boba Fett's of the Mandalorian ship. Um, there is on the left side also a depiction of the dark the equipment, which of course the dark is very central to season three of the Mandalorian. So I'm sure that none of this is real. This is probably all pre-rendered, but it shows you what Disney is going for in using this new platform to enhance the way in which we are watching Star Wars. So let's take a look at the rest of the, of the image. So here are more of the, uh, of the pursuit that we see. And then the screens are moving uh, back and forth as well. So here right behind me, uh, you, you see that they are projecting uh, a screen with um, some planetary information. So now apparently we go to Tatooine where we see R2-D5 um showing himself and then we go to hyperspace now this is this is really cool this hyperspace uh effect is is um all the other screens are disappearing and imagine seeing this in 3D all around you just going to hyperspace and then that actually brings us to something much more immersive than what was shown in the f- earlier part of the demo this time we are on Tatooine and there is this 360 view of the planet with on the right side a sand crawler. In the distance you can see that a sand crawler is parked near a village on Tatooine. It's kind of hard to see what exactly that is. That could be Mos Aspa or whatever. Um, so it's on the outskirts of uh, a settlement on Tatooine. The suns are setting, and of course I'm saying suns because we see two of them. All of this is rendered in, in 3D, in beautiful CGI. And when they showed us this, I was like, uh, why? You know, Is this part of what, uh, what they hope to offer us um, on the Apple Vision Pro? I would love to have that immersive experience. I've had similar Star Wars experiences on the MetaQuest. I am the owner of the <laughs> MetaQuest 1, not 2, unfortunately. Um, and they did have some Star Wars stuff there. So they've always been eager to hop on the bandwagon of, uh, of VR. This is the first time that we see them uh, trying something of a much higher quality level. So... I would love to be in these worlds of Star Wars. And here, actually, they show you that you're sitting uh, in in uh, the chair of a land speeder, which immediately made me think, huh, 
what if this is Star Wars Drive-In on Tatooine and you'd be able to watch any Star Wars movie or episode as if you were in a drive-in theater, but on the planet of Tatooine or any other planet, how amazing would that be? And then the demo actually shows the virtual person looking around. And then first of all, you see the the uh, you get a better view of the sand crawler on the right there are some more um land speeders parked which again makes me think this they're going for um a drive-in theater on tatooine and then the 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 the, the whole atmosphere is changing it's almost as so if someone fast forwards through time and it gets dark and then the suns have set you see two moons there on the left and you see uh, another settlement uh, on the left as well. This may actually be the um, Lars and Owen Baru homestead with where Luke Skywalker lives. And then in front of you, projected, I assume, on a gigantic screen. Of course, you don't get that impression when you're just watching this on a 2D screen uh, during the keynote presentation. But all of a sudden, there is Baby Yoda. There is Grogu. And he is in the cockpit of Din Djarin's ship looking at the marvels of hyperspace. And you see that the, ref the, the screen itself is reflected on the outside of your land speeder, making it super immersive. Because I imagine that this is not just 2D. This must be 3D. So you're, you're inside this, this 3D environment watching an episode of the Mandalorian and it is as if the screen is right there in front of you because and it's enhanced of course by all these reflections and then they show uh, that you can during the projection of that you can actually look around and then it immediately warps back uh, in hyperspace and uh, well that was it. That was basically the extent of the presentation, at least the Star Wars part of that presentation. But this made me think about the potential of this technology. What if in the future we will be able to watch any Star Wars movie in 3D and being completely surrounded by it? Now, of course, this is not yet there. Because we have, of course, 3D versions of all the nine Star Wars movies and probably also of all the other Star Wars movies. Actually, I think they... Did they ever do a 3D version of Empire Strikes Back? I know that there, there was a very good 3D conversion of The Phantom Menace. Um, I know they've been experimenting, and of course, the sequel trilogy, th those are all being redone in 3D. It's all post-production 3D, but of course that technology has um, has made a ton of progress over the years. So I can totally see this. None of none of the presentation of Bob Iger hinted at this, but it, it seems like such an obvious thing to do, especially because earlier on during the WWDC presentation of the headset, uh, they showed um, that you could watch Avatar in 3D. And, well, if Avatar, of course, is also on Disney+, Plus, if that's going to be in 3D, then I think Star Wars is going to be in 3D as well. 
Um, which, which makes me super excited because I thought, and we all thought, that 3D was dead for Star Wars, that the only way to experience Star Wars in 3D was in the movie theater. And I kind of miss being able to watch the 3D uh, versions of those Star Wars movies at home. This is the technology that will bring back Star Wars in 3D to my living room. And then let's think a little bit further than that. What about creating Star Wars content specifically, immersive content specifically for this platform? What if Disney is actually working? And I I don't know. I'm just assuming that if they can render um, an environment for you to sit in while watching 2D content, then the next step, maybe in a few years from now, would be to create content that is actually so immersive that you are there inside this virtual volume. You know, you're, they're using the volume to to film Star Wars stuff. But what if um, they can create something as immersive? Uh, but then for for this platform, I, I couldn't be more excited. What if, for instance, they could um, offer the same kind of r- rides, the experience that you get when you are uh, at Galaxy's Edge. Uh, is it Galaxy's Edge? Um, anyway, so the the Star Wars section of, of Disneyland, Disney World, um, th- th- there is a an immersive uh, factor of of being there in 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 real life and and walking around there, seeing everything in three D. Um, I think they could totally bring to a device like this and sell it at a premium price. Now you have to pay a lot of money to go to Disneyland and Disney World to experience this. But what keeps them from ex- from offering these high-level, high-quality experiences for a platform like this? I mean, I'd, 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 I don't even think that they should have to give it away for free to anyone who is subscribed to, uh, to their Disney Plus service. I think they could just sell it as an experience on its own, and I think a lot of Star Wars fans would probably pay for that. I would. <laughs> but of course, it would be cooler to get it for free on, on Disney+. Plus. I'm, I'm, I'm not hinting at any, you know, extra extortion of money from my pockets. But hey, I'm just saying, if, if money can be made, Disney is probably going to pursue it. But uh, to, to wrap things up, this could be a major, major opportunity for Disney to bring... 3D content, immersive content to Star Wars fans, to Marvel fans, to basically fans of any of their of their franchises. Um, and so I'm not surprised that Disney is there on day one. And, um, well, I, 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 I cannot wait for them to air, for instance, to do a live stream in 3D of the next Star Wars celebration. You know, not everyone is going to be able to to travel to Tokyo in Japan for the next one, but I would certainly definitely want to pay for um, having a live 3D stream, like a 180 degree stream of of uh, the next Star Wars celebration, because it would save me so much money. I wouldn't have to go to Japan. Um, so there there are so so many things that you can do with this platform. We're going to talk about the price. We're going to talk about the technology behind that uh, in a different video. But right now, I think that for Star Wars fans, um, exciting 
exciting times are ahead. The only thing I need to do is somehow win um, some betting game uh, so Lando can give me all his Imperial credits so I can buy this this headset. But Or maybe I can just buy it secondhand from a couple of Jawas. Um, anyway, let me know what you think. As always, love to hear your thoughts. How do you not like movies? They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. Now I'm going to give it to you. Let's talk about movies and TV shows. I am a huge fan of Star Wars, as you know, but I'm also a huge fan of Marvel and the stories that they are telling. And I am so excited that Ant-Man, the latest Ant-Man movie, is now available on Disney+. Plus. I kind of skipped it at the movie theater because uh, apparently it was not that good. But sure, I'll watch it on, uh, on the small screen or the relatively big screen of my TV in my living room. Um, and... Marvel is struggling a little bit with uh, what is also a problem for Star Wars fans, and that is fatigue. If you keep pushing out movie after movie after movie, after a while, the quality goes down because you cannot really stay on that you know upper level of quality uh, as we had with the Avengers uh, series. And, and so there is a bit of a diminishing return on investment, plus... It's also very hard for for Marvel fans to watch every single television series, every single movie. Um, So what I think Disney is going to do is to reduce the number of movies and TV shows, just as they do with Star Wars, and make it more into an event. Now, I am very excited about an upcoming uh, movie called The Marvels. In fact, I think it has been postponed and delayed uh, several times, Um, but... We do have a teaser trailer for the Marvel's movie, which, I don't know, I totally missed. And I, I, I want to watch it with you. I've not watched it yet. Um, and, of course, I'm going to react to it. So, here is the new trailer for... the teaser trailer for um, the Marvel's movie. Let's take a look. Cool. Captain Rambo... What the hell are you doing? <laughs> Entering the jump point perimeter. I'm gonna get you some readings, Fury. Hello? Uh-oh. Things Hello? are about to go wrong. Uh oh. Captain Rambo. Whoa. Oh, cool. Awesome. What the? Hi. <laughs> We're looking for Kamala Khan. Oh, that is so okay, cool. So our powers are entangled. I can manipulate light energy. And you, I can totally show you. Whoops. No. <laughs> no, not again. Hi. Where's our daughter? Wherever you were. 
That is a dangerous cat. <laughs> I was about to say that. Oh my gosh, the cat just ate them. <laughs> oh wow. Teaming up. Changes everyone and everything. Lots of cats, I love it. We're a team. Oh no, 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 we're not a team. We're not a team. <laughs> the marvels. Oh my gosh. I I really, really like what I'm seeing here. So uh the Marvels is going to bring together three strong superhero women in one movie, and there's going to be a lot of humor. This looks really funny. I love that we get to see the alien cat. I forgot what the... It's not really a cat. It's actually an alien that looks like a cat. I think, if I re recall correctly, that cat is the, is the reason that... Um, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Nick Fury's character misses an eye <laughs> because he underestimated the danger of that cat. So um, it, it looks really cool. Um, I'm also excited that they're bringing together um, both Miss Marvel and uh, the two other characters from the TV shows, um, kind of tying together the theatrical um, MCU and the TV MCU. Um, and, and I think these characters are, are amazing. It looks great. Um, I just hope, I hope it's story-wise also more than just a bit of humor and a bit of action. Um, this, this, this deserves to be a good movie. Well, they've been working on this for quite a while, so hopefully they were able to tweak the story enough so it's, um, it's, it's up there in, in terms of quality. But I don't know. This is all I've seen of the movie. I would love to hear your thoughts. Um, so let me know in the comments. Another thing I wanted to talk about and show you is a television series that I've just discovered. It's been around for 15 years and I'm only now discovering, th discovering it thanks to a TikTok uh, clip that I saw where someone said, if you're not watching the, um, uh, the Taskmaster on the BBC, you have to watch that. And turns out that the Taskmaster is a television show which, uh, on the surface, is not anything special. Um, but it's all in the execution. So uh, you can watch every episode of the Taskmaster on the YouTube channel, but here's a word of warning. Um, it is uh, riddled, absolutely riddled, with advertisements, like every five seconds, you will be forced to watch an ad. And it is super annoying. This is one of those experiences that makes me wanna go for the paid YouTube version. So yeah, I don't, I'm not bothered by those ads. However, I did struggle my way through the very first episode of the first season. And I'll, I'll explain what the show was about uh, after we've, briefly watch this uh, this trailer for it. This, this is the trailer. It goes back like 15 years. Um, and, and it shows you what the, what the show is all about. I am the Taskmaster. And it goes without saying that I'm the most powerful entertainer on the planet. Hence all the silly lightning and stairs and stuff. Which isn't in the show. This is just the ad for Dave. 
However, in the show, I'll be using my real power to set needy comedians' tasks, like who can paint the best picture of a horse while riding a horse? <laughs> who can eat the most of a watermelon in one minute? <laughs> Your task is to watch the show. What do I, sorry, what do I do? Admin. Admin. Basic admin. Taskmaster, coming soon, new and exclusive today. Well, coming soon means coming soon 15 years ago. Uh, I feel like sometimes I just need uh, a DeLorean time machine to go back and make sure that I don't miss these awesome shows. What is so cool about the Taskmaster? Well, the premise is you've got these comedians, and they're st all stand-up comedians, and every season they introduce new comedians, and there are some, uh, some that, that will stay around for a couple of seasons. So they're all very quick-thinking, able to react on the spot, um, and they're very funny. What they do before all these, these stand-up comedians come together in the studio is they film these different uh, comedians performing the most crazy missions. So it's a little bit like uh, <laughs> Donald Trump's uh, Apprentice series, but then funny and without Trump, which makes it super, you know, much better. <laughs> but it's, it's like, for instance, like eat as much melon as you can, but they don't even know that they're going to be faced with a whole melon. Um, so then they, some have anticipated that and others haven't, so they need to figure out a way to, you know, break the melon in, in pieces and start eating it. Um, the, the, the task where they have to paint a horse while sitting on a horse is hilarious as well. And so they film all that, but the the comedians don't know how the uh, what what tasks the others ha have have had to do, uh, nor how they performed. And it's only when they're all together in studio that they are being shown the results of their attempts. And then, the funny thing of it is, of course, the taskmaster himself is uh, is an awful person. <laughs> He's like very cruel, and then he has an assistant, and their chemistry is really great as well. But the reactions of these comedians to one another and to the performances that they are being shown. That's what makes this so extraordinarily funny. I was laughing out loud. Um, I was really irritated by all the ads, um, but the show itself is amazing. So just go to YouTube and, and look, look for The Taskmaster. You can watch all 15 seasons, I think, like half of what you are going to see is ads, so you'll have to see for yourself if that is something you're willing to do. Um, but if, especially if you have um, a YouTube subscription where they don't show you the ads, you're in for a ton of fun. <laughs> Catholics rock! It is time for a visit to the Peculiar Bunch, and, well, that consists of these crazy Catholics with their really strange rules and regulations. This can be a Peculiar Bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And today I want to reply, or I want to actually repeat the, the answer that I gave to a Protestant, I can't say parishioner, but churchgoer that I got. Man! You guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. So, last Sunday in, um, in church, 
I was um, celebrating a mass that was, we call this um, like a low threshold mass. And it's a part of an evangelization effort in the parish where I assist, um, which uh, it's an idea that originally came from my previous parish in, in Amersfoort. And it's a, it's a mass where we take some extra time to explain why we do the things that we do. There's actually a, an official canonical uh, commentary or commentator role, a liturgical commentator role that we are using during that mass. And I'm actually quite surprised that this is, some, that this is not something that many um, churches are doing because it's such a, a, it's so useful for both for new people and for existing Catholics to teach them a little bit more about the liturgy. So what I do here in this segment of the Peculiar Bunch is very similar to what we would do during Mass. So every once in a while, um, a commentator would come and say, well, we're now going to do this and that, and this is what it means. Of course, very brief explanation segments. You don't want to do like a 10-minute explanation of every single detail. But you can change it up every time you celebrate a Mass like that, you can explain different things. And over time, the hope is that the parishioners will start to appreciate Catholic liturgy more. And since they understand what they are celebrating and why the Catholic Church is celebrating things in, with certain symbols, uh, there is more reverence for that liturgy. The more you understand, the more you will appreciate what the Church is going to do, and the less you will be tempted to replace all those beautiful, sometimes like century, millennium-old habits with your own inventions, you know? So uh, we've been implementing this uh, principle very successfully in this parish for a while now. Um, and then uh, we started at the, like the central church here in the parish and then other locations were also clamoring for masses like this. And uh, since I have a lot of experience with... Um, uh, not really with organizing this, but to be part of masses like that. That I was uh, excited to, um, that in Venendal they now invi- uh, invited me to celebrate the second one, um, the second mass with explanation. And what they did really well was to spread the word. And the idea is you can go to anyone, Catholic or non-Catholic, and say, hey, if you want to understand what we do on Sunday and why we feel it's so precious to us and what it all means, just come along. There will be, we have cookies. Well, we don't have cookies, <laughs> but we have explanations. And so um, the feedback has been tremendous and, and, and the re- response to this initiative has been tremendous. Um, it, it really depends, of course, on parishioners actually going the extra mile, inviting their friends and family to come over for this one Sunday. Um, and then, of course, they won't be able to, to fully participate in the Mass if they are not Catholic or, or you know, they've never been to a church. But, but we make sure that they feel welcome and that an, it's an open invitation. And if you want to know more, hey, maybe, maybe you want to give it a thought if, if, if uh, becoming a Catholic might be something for you. So <laughs> ideally what I hope that we, uh, over time we can do is offer these people that are there for the first time in their lives um, to, to start a course. 
to say, hey, if you want to do more, we have got this course of four, four evenings over the next couple of months, and we'll go through all the 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 symbolism in the mass or i don't know we'll just do like a something like an alpha course where you can get to know the basic principles of the catholic faith and 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 maybe who knows if you love it enough you might want to become a catholic um so we had a full church this past sunday which again is it's pretty rare and pretty exciting to see how many people have responded to this initiative. And a number of people in church, I could tell from their behavior, um, were not familiar with the Catholic uh, tradition. So at the beginning of Mass, I uh, asked people to introduce themselves to one another because, especially for the new people, it, it's, it's kind of comforting to know that you're welcome and people will actually tell you their names. And then I asked, you know, who's here for the first time? And we had a couple of people raising their hands and, uh, and maybe some other people that didn't raise their hands because they were too shy. After Mass, we always make sure that there is um, coffee and cake and, and snacks and whatever. So we invite everyone to hang out with us and to uh, try to connect with people that you have never spoken to. Um, and so I was talking to um, a mother from Ukraine, and she fled Kiev um, at the beginning of the war together with her son. And they've been living in the Netherlands for more than a year now, ever since the war started. Um, uh, so she, she talked about uh, where she came from, uh, not just geographically, but also her, her lifestyle. She said, it's, it's incredible here. You're like totally at the bottom of the social ladder again. People treat you as if you are completely dumb. <laughs> and you don't, it's just because we don't speak the language. Um, but actually, I used to be, she told me, um, an academic researcher. I am a doctor. Um, I, I, I am, I was conducting and I'm still conducting research in anthrop anthropology. Um, and yet people talk to us as if we don't know how much is one plus one <laughs> so and then she also talked about the um the church environment the faith environment uh where she came from and she said you know in in uh, here this morning i was surprised that so many people went to communion but don't you all have to go to confession first in in kiev that is the that's that's the norm you know, you would never see this many people going to communion or present themselves for communion um, without having gone to confession beforehand. So I explained to her that in the Netherlands and in many Western countries, uh, the practice of, of confession is, um, is rare. Um, it's a sacrament that is forgotten about by many people, um, maybe neglected. Uh, but that personally, of course, um, as a priest, I'm always available for confession. So that was the first thing she asked me is like, yeah, can, can I do that? So um, next time, uh, I'll, I'll make sure to be available for confession. And uh, But it also reminded me of how much our current practice in the parish is, we think that this is the norm, you know, confession, oh, it's going to be so hard to bring that back. And, and then you see people also from Europe, and they're like, yeah, no, why is there no confession? You know, if we if if you offer it, we'll come. And I've heard this also from Polish parishioners and from from South American parishioners. For them, it's like, yeah, why did why did you ever stop doing that? 
<laughs> and then uh, um, someone else came up to me, and it was also a mother with her son, and she said um, that she was from a Protestant community in the same town. And, um, but she felt invited to come and see how we as Catholics celebrated Sunday. And it wasn't the first time. I think she had also been at the first Mass that we did like in, in this way. And she had felt very welcome and, and, and she was really, really motivated to come again. But she said, the first time that I was here, um, I thought that, it, that I could just present myself for communion um, because this is something, and, and that surprised me a little bit that she said, that this is something that we, we don't do that much in our Protestant church. The community that she was a part of, they... They celebrate the la- celebrated the Last Supper maybe a few times per year, and then not everyone was supposed to per- participate in that. Only people that were kind of vetted. Um, but if she never felt worthy enough to participate in the celebration of the Last Supper in the Protestant liturgy. So when she was here in the Catholic Church and she saw that everybody presented themselves for communion uh she was like finally i can do that and and then she confided to me that actually in her personal faith she believed that the catholic way of of celebrating the eucharist and the veneration that we have for the consecrated bread being truly the presence of of jesus not just symbolically that that was actually the truth she said so i feel so much more comfortable with the catholic way of looking at this at, at, at communion than i feel in my own protestant church and so I, I i was so touched by that that she she went ahead and received communion last week or last time now in this mass where i was celebrating i i stipulated before i started to the, the, the distribution of uh, communion that if people hadn't done their first communion yet um, or maybe were not Catholic, that they could also come forward, but instead of receiving communion, they would receive a blessing. So I asked them to cross their arms uh, before presenting themselves, and I would give them a blessing instead. She's, she told me that that actually was very painful for her to hear because she realized that, well, maybe, maybe I thought it was... I was more welcome than I actually was, and now I hear that I'm actually not supposed to receive communion. So it's the same as in my Protestant congregation, where I'm also never welcome, and it feels wrong. So, you know, a very legitimate, honest, authentic question, and I was touched by um, the testimony of her faith, that she actually believed, like we Catholics believe, that that the bread and the wine truly become the body and blood of Christ, that there is a real presence there. And, and there was a desire, there was a very clear desire, like this is, I feel called to receive this sacrament. And so what I answered was this. First of all, um, the pain you feel is the pain of the separation, of, of uh, us not having attained this full unity the pain you feel is also it's the it's the is the the other side of the pull you feel of Christ calling you that is very positive that faith that you have is a gift 
treasure it. It's, it's important. And maybe, maybe God is, is pulling you towards him. However, I said, we cannot skip the, the different stages in, in, this, in this communion for um, the Eucharist is one of the three, what we call initiation sacraments. The first one being baptism, and then you have confirmation and communion. And so if you want to present yourself for, uh, for communion, it's basically you're, you're telling us, I want to be initiated as a Catholic. And that is totally fine. But I can also understand that that may be a bridge too far or you're not there yet. But, and I've, I, I, I told her that in my previous parish, there was a young woman who actually uh, went to see the pastor, uh, which wasn't me, um, and asked for special permission to receive communion because she, she shared the Catholic belief in the real presence of Christ, but because of family circumstances, she couldn't become a Catholic at this time in her life. And there are certain exceptional situations in which that permission can be granted. For instance, if you look at Thézé, which is a ecumenical monastery in, um, in France, some of the brothers... Um, have a Catholic background or share the Catholic belief in the Eucharist and they have been given permission by the Pope to receive communion. So I'm not exactly up to date on the current rules and regulations about that, I told her, but I would, I would recommend you talk to the pastor and he can look with you to see you know, what steps you, we can take together and... And, and, and you, can, you can see wh uh, how, what he proposes. So I didn't want to overstep my authority here. Um, but it was touching to see these two women, uh, and, and, and they didn't know each other at all, um, but both stressing the this, this sacred value of communion and their faith in, um, in the sanctity of of. of uh, uh, of communion itself and how th th both were actually kind of struggling with like how how can I be worthy of this great gift of the body and blood of Christ of his real presence and um, and and from totally different angles but I felt to, for me this was a reminder how much we need to talk about this and how much we uh, we need to explain the value of communion of this this incredible sacrament um and and not in a restrictive way not just by stressing the rules but oh you are not worthy and you are not worthy but it's more asking like walking with people and and exploring how can we all become more worthy of what god is offering us in the body and blood of his son jesus and and how what needs to change in us in order to maybe be a, a better vessel for the sacrament, be a better recipient for uh, for this uh, this great sacrament. So anyway, it was I, an interesting question, um, and uh, of course, as soon as I hear more about, you know, the maybe the 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 um, how this how the, the follow up of, of this encounter, I will I will I will let you know. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading?
I read a very cool book called Mother Nature is Not Trying to Kill You, a bushcraft survival guide by Rob Nelson. Now, this was a book that I just read. I, I don't even know how, how I came across it. It was probably just by browsing the library of my audio um, uh, audiobook service. Um, but it immediately struck me because I like to read this kind of stuff. I, I love books about survival. I'm, you know, I like hiking. And even though when I go hiking, it's usually in pretty safe circumstances. I've never been to the, like the inner part of Australia with lots of venomous spiders and, and, and I've never been swimming in shark infested waters. So the, 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 the chances that I need this book in, in a real situation in my life, that, that, those, that risk is very slim. But I love to learn more about nature. And, and one of the things that, um, that I, I believe very deeply is that um, what we often depict in our stories as threats, as uh, dangerous, even diabolical creatures, like the snake is, is the, in the Bible is a symbol for the danger of the devil. Um, you know, we cannot blame these animals. These animals are usually just acting to protect their young, uh, to protect themselves. They don't want to be eaten. And as part of the incredible diversity in evolution, some of them are, in fact, very dangerous to other animals and to us. But that doesn't make them evil. And the more you understand the behavior of these dangerous animals, dangerous to us, the less likely you are uh, to be threatened or, or, or killed by these animals. And that was kind of the, the, the gist of this book. Um, it's, it's written by, this, um, uh, by Rob Nelson, who is a hiker and who has done a lot of educational TV stuff for, for kids. He's got a YouTube channel called Stone Age Man, uh, although the actual handle is, I think, something else. Um, but anyway... Oh, it's unt it used to, his channel is called Untamed Science. But if you look for a Stone Age man, you will see a trailer. So let's take a look at, um, because some of the principles in the book, he's also explaining that very well in the trailer for, for his uh, video channel. Um, I'm pressing the wrong button here. So let me just go there and click here to project the image of the trailer. Let's put that full screen. And then let's take a listen. Welcome to Stone Age Man. I'm Rob Nelson, a biologist, your guide. I'm doing this because I think we all need to find ways to reconnect again with this. Those are cottonwood trees. Then you can eat it. It seems to me when we work in small groups and we're intimately connected with nature, we're healthiest and happiest. But with all the tech that we have and the big cities that we live in, I feel like we've forgotten many of the things that serve to make us happy. So he's, he's addressing something super important. It's, it's we've become disconnected of nature. And the more we live in this relatively artificial environment of big cities and we surround ourselves with technology, the greater the risk is that we forget that nature is here as a gift, as something, as something that can make us happy, that the planet is here to feed all of us and not just the happy few that are able to cultivate uh, crops and, 
and and have access to all the riches of the world. And 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 so this this series that he is uh, making for his YouTube channel is all about kind of reconnecting with nature. And who's there to teach us? What happens to those teachers, those wise elders, when we leave school? It's hard for a lot of us to find. Where do you go to learn about this? And while it's second best, you're probably going right here on the internet. You're watching me on the tube. This is a resource, so to speak. Stone Age Man, this series right here, is about understanding nature better. The plants, the animals, the fungi, and humans. Of course, humans are not separated from nature. It's not us versus nature. I'm focusing here on many of the things that directly affect us. Along I think this is an amazing concept. It's an amazing approach for a YouTube channel. It's, it's trying to give people the second best experience. The best thing, of course, would be to be in nature and to experience these things firsthand. But with thanks to a YouTube channel, you can actually bring people along. This inspires me to continue working on my documentaries because this is exactly, of course, in a, in a totally different field, what I would love to do on YouTube in addition to the geeky stuff that I do on my main channel is to bring people, to reconnect people with the tradition, with faith, with these centuries-old stories, not by just relating them or writing them down in a book, but by taking people inside those stories, by visiting the places where these things happened. And, and that is how I've always done my, my travel uh, documentaries. And seeing how successful this guy is in doing that with, with nature type of, of travel videos, I'm feeling like, yes, this is a concept that I, I think I can emulate. Along the way, I'll have a weekly skills video. It's always fun to practice. Looking for stones that you can break apart, make little blades out of. <laughs> you, you did that on purpose. Mm -hmm. Much of these are bushcraft skills, but many are just great skills to bring with you into the outdoors. That's also very inspirational for me. So it's not just travel videos, like long-form documentaries, but he also does these shorter bits. Let me explain this or let me explain that. What I do in, in, on the break when I explain certain faith-related questions is something that I, I, I can totally see as being part of that channel. In addition to the long-form documentaries and stories, let me just explain what how that works and and explain symbolism maybe highlight um, architecture or art and doing these short form like the next time you're in france and you wander into a church this is what it means we're also leading courses every year i decided i didn't want to just talk about nature online i wanted to do it as well with some of you that want to join us so i've organized two to start we're going to the amazon and we're doing a winter survival course that too great idea talking about integrating everything um you know i love to travel and you know that one of the big things that we as catholics do when we travel is to go on a pilgrimage and i've 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 pitched this in the past to myself, to the board, to you. Like, what if somehow we can also bring in this aspect of going on a journey together and visiting these places that you've seen in my YouTube videos? Um, we've done that once in, in Rome, and it was fantastic. And I so want to do that again. But th and this gives me kind of the template. And, and what I like about this approach is how it brings all these different talents of this guy together. Uh, he wrote a book. He, he, he makes these documentaries. He, he explains things. He's a teacher. And he invites people to come along on, um, on these journeys.
So check StoneAgeMan.com to see where we're going next. And we've got gear. Okay. And then, of course, they've got merch, etc., etc. So all of that is kind of the, the common fare uh, on, on um, uh, YouTube platforms like this. But speaking about a model that, that inspires me, um, by the way, I would be totally in for just a hike, just go on one of those trips myself. Doesn't have to be a pilgrimage. I love being in nature, and certainly if I can be there with an expert who can explain to me uh, what's happening, yes, I would totally do that. Um, a, a very easy, accessible way for me to do this is to actually go to my local zoo. Um, they organize early morning hikes through the zoo with an expert. And you go uh, and, and, and visit all these places. They have, of course, also a bush area with lots of wild animals. And it's a totally different way of experiencing the zoo. The only downside is it is before opening hours, so it's super early, and I only have a bike, so I probably have to wake up at 5 in the morning in order to be there in time. But I, after I'm done recording this show, I will definitely look up the next, uh, uh, the next expedition in the zoo. And because I, this is the stuff I like. So anyway, all that is um, just um, uh, in relation to the, the book that I read. It's, a, it's an easy-to-read book. It has a ton of interesting uh, um, information about, about the big animals, the dangerous animals. And, and the fun thing is you, you probably don't need all the survival stuff, but in the process of learning how to survive these, these dangerous animals, you learn more about the natural behavior of these animals and why they are so dangerous, it's not because they want to kill us. No, they just want to, you know, have their place on this planet and, uh, and they need to defend themselves. That's very much like we, what we do as well. Um, all right, that's it for the book. I want to talk about two upcoming Lego sets. I was so excited when I saw this Lego video of a Jaws Lego set. It looks absolutely phenomenal. The only thing is, the set doesn't exist yet. This is part of Lego's Ideas series, where they invite people to come up with something that Lego has never done before, and then to create um, a mock-up. A lot of uh, people that do entries for um, for this contest, kind of, I don't think you can really win something, but uh, but maybe your your uh, build will end up being an official set, and they let people vote on all these different sets. And a lot of the these builders are are, are building this in uh, virtually, so the render. Um, that I'm currently looking at shows you a well the the main elements of the Jaws movie, the classic Jaws movie. It's got, of course, the first thing you see is this gigantic shark, which looks phenomenal. I love that. The Lego has done sharks before, but never a shark that looks this good. But you can tell that it's built, you know, virtually. It, this is a render. This is not built with real Lego, but it should work. There are building, there's building software where you can you can basically use any type of brick that Lego has ever made in order to create something new. So the shark looks phenomenal. You've got three minifigures, the three main actors in, in the story. And then, of course, you've got the orca. Now, if you've never seen the movie, you think, like, wait, two, two big fish? No. 
first of all, an orca is not a fish, it's a mammal, but it's um, the orca is the name of the boat. Remember, you know the quote, we need a bigger boat. They're talking about the orca, which is just a regular fishing boat, but they use it, of course, to hunt for, for jaws, for this, this big white shark. And so the boat itself looks fantastic as well. And this particular set, this, this fan-made creation, got chosen to be turned into a real set. And I think that is amazing. I think uh, not really for kids. This is clearly catering to the people that have the money to buy this and also um, are old enough to remember this movie or at least may have watched it at one point in their lives. Uh, let's look at some of the details because the, the, the boat, especially the boat's called the Orca, um, is one of the most beautiful modern boats that I've ever seen. There's lots and lots of uh, little greebly stuff and, and ropes and, uh, and, and it looks very close to the movie uh, boat that we saw. Um, another photo shows the side of the boat and uh, it's also very colorful. It's got this red, black, white uh, paint and then you have these yellow, what I think are, uh, how do you call that in English, like buoys, boop, boop, Beacons, beacons, <laughs> yellow beacons. You throw them in the sea. Whenever you see the shark and you want to mark that, that spot, you, you, you throw one of those yellow, bright yellow beacons and, and then you can always find that place later on. Nowadays, we probably just use um, like uh, satellite uh, GPS for that. But when the movie Jaws was made, none of that technology existed. So the boat looks awesome. You can also, of course, do interiors. Um, and, and maybe make the roof detachable so you can look inside. The shark, of course, is the hero of this set, and it's got a jaw that you can actually move, you can open the, the beak, the jaw of the, of, of the thing. Maybe it's even, you can't tell from the static image if you can move the, the fin tail, and maybe the whole shark itself will be able to move a little bit. Um, although... In the movie, of course, uh, if you've ever heard about how this movie got made, the shark itself was, even, even though it was the main character, it was a disaster to work with. It would always break down. Uh, the technology uh, was, was fragile at the time. Plus, this needed to be a life-size shark filmed in the water, in, in the sea. So filming the whole movie, there is a reason that the shark is almost not in the movie is because it was almost always broken. And in hindsight, that actually makes the movie a lot better because the, 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 the moments that you see the shark, it is super impressive. And because there's co this constant threat, this, this, this danger of the, of the shark, but you don't see it, it actually helps make the movie much more tense and, and scary than if you would see the shark all the time. That's the problem of the sequels where it's a lot of shark, but then it's it's not it's not scary anymore. So uh, uh, there's a close-up render of the of the front of the shark, which looks phenomenal. There is also a top-down photo that shows you the shark, which is almost as big as the boat itself, which is also in the movie. Uh, why why this shark is so is so dangerous and so feared by everyone? Um, yeah, the sh the shark itself is definitely. Um, 
going to have to be the, the, the hero of the set. Uh, the minifigures are pretty cool. I think you can totally mm, do those. Um, and three minifigures is probably enough for a set like this. Uh, and the minifigures also enhance the playability of the set because you can you can pose them on the boat or maybe in the beak of the of the shark. So all the the the, the shots of the boat look fan fantastic, um, and this is also going to be super uh, interesting for people that build uh, their own Lego city uh, because you can you can this boat is of course minifigure sized. So if you have um, a beach in your Lego city and and water. You could put this boat right there uh, near the rest of your city. Uh, this particular fan rendition of the boat also has some um, detachable rooftop, so you can look inside the cabin of the of the boat. Um, and I'm sure that's something that Lego, once they do their official version of this set, will also implement. So, uh, and then the the final photo is a bit weird. It shows. Um, uh, kind of like a display where it's just a shark on a flat surface and there's a tiny little boat on the, on the right. I, I don't think they're going to use this. It, it almost seems like a superfluous extra addition to the set. Um, it looks cool, but I think the, the, set, the, the final set... Uh, will probably just be the shark and the boat and then some minifigures. So I love this. Once this is out, and if it's not too expensive, I will definitely build it. That was not the only Lego set I wanted to show you because there is something even more excited. I thought that the Hogwarts Castle Lego set was the last Harry Potter-based big architectural set that we would ever get. We've seen other sets, but they're more based on a kind of a toy version, uh, like a dollhouse version of certain parts of the Hogwarts castle. So I loved building this big, huge Hogwarts castle set, and it's uh, one of my proudest possessions in the house i put it on display in the living room and it's always when i have guests they are all immediately attracted by just the the look of that castle set but now lego has announced and has also shown us pictures of a brand new hogwarts castle set that not only has the same buildings as we have in the existing big hogwarts castle set but it has actually all the grounds around the set. This is something that mock builders have um, visualized many times before. Um, and uh, the thing is, of course, those are not official Lego sets. And you need to often pay a lot of extra money to get the parts to build those you know, more full-fledged renditions of the Hogwarts castle. For a long time, there were rumors that Lego would, um, would create a second set that could connect to the existing Hogwarts Castle set to form one full-sized uh, Harry Potter castle. Um, that never materialized. There are some, um, some, some fans that have created mocks, and if you go to the fake Lego sites, you, you, can, you can buy those. But those are very expensive because there are just 
thousands and thousands of, of bricks and parts needed to basically complete the castle. What we got instead is this, what we're currently looking at. It is a much smaller version, like a micro-scale version of the Hogwarts castle, although, to be honest, the, the, the existing set is also micro-scale. It's not minifigure-sized. Um, but this is much, much smaller. But what makes this so cool is that it is the entire building and the grounds around it. So it, you see the castle, and it's got the, the big hall. It's got the, 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 the entry. Um, and, but this one also has the astronomy tower on the right. It's got the greenhouses on the right side of the castle. Um, it's got the sea, the, or the lake, I should say, the big lake, the log, um, lock or lock, I th- I, I, you should say, um, that, 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 that uh, of course, is the, the dwelling place for all these creepy creatures that we see in the, is it in, in the, the, the Goblet of Fire? Um, and I think this, this particular rendition of the castle was inspired by the Goblet of Fire because it also shows you two details um it's it's got the the big floating horse and carriage um from um, the 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 french uh, wizarding school and the emerging ship that is actually able to navigate underwater and then i think that's the 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 russian the russian magician uh, apprentices the 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 box is already fully rendered. It looks amazing. This looks even better with a with a dark background. Um, and then there is always this this three uh, D video. There's three hundred sixty degree video where they move around the castle. And what it reveals is that on the back of the castle, they have created these secret chambers. These these parts of the castle that are in uh, you know, in the dungeons, and uh, there is a render of the back of the of the set, and you can see it even better. Now, the current big Hogwarts castle set only has the front. If you turn it around, you can actually see all the rooms and and um, uh, the, the 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 dining room and the, some of the classrooms, etc. Uh, the tower is only half of the tower. In this set. The castle is fully rendered, also on the back backside. So none of these, the, the set is too small to do open, uh, to to open it up. But they did do that for the dungeon. Now none of that is, of course, at scale, but it it, it somehow works, um, and it's a, it's a fun extra part of the building process to create these iconic places that we know from the various Harry Potter stories. Um, there is also a photo um, taken from above where you look down and you see how big this set is and it's got the rock on which the castle is built. You've got the sea, which they also make more like, why is there so much water? It's because they also have the ship. So it, it, it creates it like a decor almost of that particular part of the set. I kind of hope that they would include a, a tiny hippogriff that would fly over the the water, but no, none of that there. And then in the back, you see a garden, and, and, and the only thing that is missing here is uh, the Quidditch uh, arena. Um, but I think you could probably modify the set and place it, you know, in the in the garden part of the of the set. 
it will need to be very, very small. Instead, they did the Whomping Willow, so this dangerous living tree uh, with the, the tiny blue and white car, flying car that is caught in its tentacles. Um, I love the addition of the greenhouses because this is something that you see uh, featured heavily in the flyovers in all the, all the Harry Potter movies. Um, and I think they did a pretty good job using transparent bricks to render that you know important part of of the castle and it's also a place where the the kids are learning how to handle these these um magical plants um and and maybe also cultivate them for potions this may be why one of the underground rooms is the actual potion classroom um, it kind of makes sense story-wise to have the greenhouses and then that's where all the plants come from and in the, in the potions uh, classroom, that's where you learn how to use all these different plants and roots. Uh, they also included a couple of photos with some close-ups of the various places. This is the, the, um, the Chamber of Secrets with, uh, with three snakes. You've got the two, uh, two snakes um, in front of the big head which is actually one of the best renditions i've seen of the chamber of secrets is even better than the one in the big uh castle set and it's got this green snake which is protruding from the mouth or whatever from the statue in the background it looks amazing um very very well done with just a few pieces but it all works extremely well um there is a photo of the potions class and it's got stickers in the back um or prints i it's hard to tell um and th this is very simple very barren um it looks good but i i kind of like the the classrooms in 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 the the bigger harry potter hogwarts set better um this is just using like two one by one and then a circular stud, basically. There's not much Lego there. Um, there is a statue, a golden statue of, um, which we also see in the movies, by the way, of the architect, the original architect of Hogwarts Castle. And he's depicted almost like a saint. This is the way in which many bishops are portrayed with a book, usually the Bible, and on top of the book is then the church or the cathedral that they build. Um, here they transport, Post that imagery to the, the fictional world of Harry Potter to depict um, uh, the, the original architect of Hogwarts Castle. It kind of feels fitting for them to include this statue because we, we ha now have the whole architectural set of, of the castle, so it would make sense to honor the one who initially created this. And then uh, some cool artwork on the back of the box as well. Uh, with a side view, like almost like a blueprint of the castle, and um, a photo of the back of the box, which looks just absolutely gorgeous. And then it's followed by the usual um, post photos of photo models playing with this set. And usually for these expensive sets, they always use adults because that's the demographic that they are trying to sell this set to. Um, the the display value of this particular set is is a little bit different from the um, Hogwarts set that I have. Like, my Hogwarts set is so big that it clearly becomes the eye-catcher of the entire room. This set is a lot smaller, but it still looks pretty good on a side table. 
uh, or maybe even inside um, uh, a cupboard or a, a, on a bookshelf. Although I think the bookshelf needs to be pretty deep. Um, I don't think this would fit in a Billy book uh, bookcase. Um, all in all, a very attractive set. What makes this even more attractive is its price. It's currently priced officially at $169.99. So $170, uh, probably the same price in euros. Um, I haven't checked that. But this is way more affordable than I thought it would be. And it's uh, definitely, it's like half the price of the, of the big Harry, Harry Potter castle. And it's, it's just a gorgeous thing. And it must be a lot of fun to build. Uh, looking at the details, I'm also really impressed by how they give the impression of detail, even though all of this is micro, micro scale. Um, and yet the elegance of the castle really comes across. Uh, there is some very, very smart building um, that is on display here, and it must be a ton of fun to, to build this set. So I'm adding it to my wish list. Why not? <laughs> I'm going bankrupt anyway. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Oh, I'm pressing the wrong button because, yeah. We are on the cutting edge of technology. We need to talk more about the wow. vision. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. There is one more thing. And that one more thing was actually presented during the WWDC. I've already talked about it at the start of this show. And it's, of course, the Apple Vision Pro. Now, technology-wise, this completely blew me away. Um, there are a number of things that I think Apple did better than anything we've seen before. Um, and uh, let me just mention a few of them. Uh, no controllers. The the tracking of your hands, it's got downwards facing cameras. And apparently the gest your gestures can be super subtle. You don't have to, you know, wave around. So I think they did a terrific job implementing that. Eye tracking apparently is amazing. They use infrared uh, cameras to see what you're looking at. And that is used in the operating system. So you can just look at an icon and it will, it will, you know, amplify you and, and, and then you can just pinch your fingers and it will be activated. Um, the, apparently you can also do this by, for instance, for if you want to search for something, you look at the search window and you start talking and it will transcribe whatever you're saying and, and it will search for that S little subtle details. You can tell that they've been working for years on this operating system and it feels very Apple and it feels very natural. Um, what I also thought would certainly fail and look super dorky and creepy was this rumor that, that somehow the, these glasses would project your eyes to the outside world, making it seem transparent, which it's not. It's, it's just two outward-facing OLED screens. They're integrated in, in the total design of the, of the glasses. But the way they showed it, sold it. I was like, yeah, this is super elegant. I, I just couldn't imagine how they would do it. The way they did it is, is amazing. 
um, and 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 it makes this so much better than any other AR VR glasses or or headset that I've ever seen. It and and this seemed to be one of the the, the major things that Apple wanted to accomplish is to give you the feeling that you're not locked inside a world. The last thing they want that they want you to feel is that you're inside the metaverse, you know, and, and you're inside this prison. And people that are seeing you wearing these these goggles have the feeling that you're blind and they cannot communicate with you. The whole make, idea of making this seem transparent and then if someone is approaching you, that person will actually appear inside your field of view. All of that is, um, and I'm, I'm sure they tested this out, uh, will give people much more the idea that they're looking through these glasses instead of these glasses locking them in inside a uh, inside a, um, uh, a, a fake world, the um, the the screens inside the glasses are the best quality uh, that are currently uh, available on the market. They're super expensive. The price is probably mostly linked to that those those uh, those screens. It's brand new technology, but apparently you you can watch computer screens inside the glasses that are genuinely 4K. It's not fake 4K, like reduced, like in the Quest. No, it's actually the amount of pixels is more than 4K so that you can work comfortably on virtual computer screens. This is, I think, how they will justify the high price. For $3,500, this is clearly not for the masses yet. However, this will give the rich people that will that want to buy this or in the developers enough reasons to justify the price they're going to pay for this because they will reason like this hey this is going to replace a big screen tv this is basically giving me a home theater and i don't need to buy a projector and a sound system and because it's all part of the technology it will also replace two three monitor computer monitors because I can just link, and this is, again, super Apple. The ecosystem integration is amazing. You approach whatever Mac you have, it will see, it will recognize, oh, he's trying to work on the Mac, and it will conjure up two, three screens, and they're full 4K screens, so you can work on that. You, they showed someone editing video inside uh, that, that, or not really inside, but, but with this this Apple Vision Pro, and, and you can look at this huge monitor in front of you while editing. You can use Bluetooth keyboards and mice to, to work. And I'm thinking, I currently have a very expensive super widescreen monitor to edit my videos. But if, <laughs> if this thing ever breaks, um, and, and usually a monitor will last a, you know five, six years, um, maybe this is a worthwhile investment to just get the get the glasses and then just work on virtual screens because they can be even bigger than this huge monitor that I have in front of me. So I think they provided to the potential buyers of this device with enough reasons to to pay the Apple tax. Um, I was also super in, uh, uh, impressed by um, the. Uh, the 3D recording capabilities, although I, uh, I I think this needs to be integrated on iPhones as well. 
because they showed a video of a father filming his daughter on her birthday. And uh, while that, of course, is a wonderful 3D memory to, to keep with you for the rest of your life, but imagine the child looking at a father wearing these creepy goggles. No, I don't think that's a memory that the child wants to have of that occasion. So um, it's, it's a cool demo, but I don't see people using this in real life. Maybe at least not in this iteration. Over time, of course, this, this technology will become thinner, easier to wear, and most importantly, much, much cheaper. So I think that Apple is laying the foundation here for something that they will continue to develop over the years to come. If you remember the first iPhone or the first Apple Watch, it was expensive, it was clunky, it was slow, it was big, battery power was very limited. But look where we are now, years later. This is what Apple usually does. They make sure that the foundation works, and then it takes them several iterations for this to become a mass product. And maybe in a couple of years from now, we'll look back on this introduction and think, like, wow, that's how it began. And look at it. Everybody has one now. Or not. We don't know what the market is going to do. This is very risky for Apple. Maybe the riskiest product introduction that they've ever done. But... Quality-wise, it is mind-blowingly good. And personally, I was most excited about the 3D movies and being able to watch all these three. I love 3D movies. I still have a television that is able to, to display 3D movies. And I will never sell it, and I hope it never breaks because I, I love my 3D movies. But this, of course, is the future. If there is a future for 3D movies, it's this. And I can totally see Apple continuing to develop AI and apply it to existing photos and videos and turn them automatically in 3D. That's, I think, where, where this whole thing is going. Now you still need to have a human intermediate to kind of turn something into 3D with the aid of a lot of software. But I think in the future, AI is so smart that you can feed it anything and it will turn it into 3D. Just imagine the possibilities. It, it gets me so excited. I feel like I've been, I've been getting a glimpse of the future. And with that, it is now really time to wrap things up. But not before I thank my patrons for their ongoing support and also their input on the Discord server. It was very fun to watch the whole presentation together with the people in the chat room. We've got a technology club and whenever there is a, an event like this, we just gather around the campfire and we just talk about we, what we see. Um, it's just one of, the, one of the perks that we offer to our monthly subscribers or monthly, uh, I should say, supporters. Not, you're not subscribing to anything. I want to especially mention today John Bolt who upped his tier from the, the low entry tier, which is 250 per month, all the way to a lot of money per, per month. And I'm super grateful for that generosity. Um, we've got a couple of people that are, you know, really donating uh, quite a substantial amount every month. It allows me to pay, not only pay the bills, but also to work on these documentaries that I've been talking about and maybe over time even hire some extra help. This is how I want to grow my ministry, but I can't do it without your support. So thanks again for the small and the medium and the big donors for their support. Um, it means the world to me. 
Talk to you soon. God bless.